This is the first of two podcasts on team development and how teams win. In this podcast, we're going to cover big picture items that lead to team success. And in the next podcast, we're going to get down to the details of individual practice planning as well as micro and macro training cycles. I think one of the first things we want to ask is what's the purpose of practice? I guess the simplest definition would be practice is to prepare your team for competition. Uh, we've talked a lot in previous podcasts about situational training for player development, and the same is really true for team development. In general terms, there's two areas that dominate team play. One is when your team starts play by serving to the opponent. We generally call that team defense or block and defense since you're defending the opposing team's attack. The other area is when your team receives serve and initiates what we commonly refer to as old school terminology as side out offense or team receive to attack offense. From there, we start to break down the key areas of importance within our team defense and team offense. We're going to look at those today. After the serving, the first line of defense is actually the block. But statistically, except at the high levels, blocking is pretty far down the list in relationship to team success. I think high school level and lower where coaches have to decide how much of their practice times they want to actually spend on blocking versus other areas that might produce greater results based on time committed to training. At the younger levels where the power of the game is not as great, there are many more opportunities to keep the ball in play once it gets past the block than there are at the collegiate or international level where power dominates and backcourt defense, while it's important, will not win your team championships. Even at the highest level, such as elite Division I college volleyball, for instance, the Big Ten right now, let's look at that. Three blocks per set is leading the conference. 17 digs per set is leading the conference. And 15 kills per set is leading the conference. If we break that down, the blocks and kills are direct points scored. So three points per set from blocking and 15 points per set from attacking, that's really not close. I mean, that means you're statistically of a five times greater point scoring opportunity from your attack than from blocking. What's also important is the 17 digs per set means that potentially 17 opportunities are there to attack for points after the dig. We call that transition transition offense. Uh, these, stare out, these, these stats bear out why first contact skills such as serve-receive and individual defense are so important to team development and success. They're the building block for side-out offense and transition defense to attack. So it's one of the reasons that coaches are always talking about, you know, you got to pass and you got to play good backcourt defense at the, at the lower beginning levels for teams to be successful. One of the things I mentioned in previous podcasts is the, the skill of attacking is by far the most important skill because it leads to direct points and it's the highest up on the chart on the on the list for team success. But let's take a take a look at two areas of play and how the skills are related to each other. First, let's look at the dynamics of when we serve. There's no doubt that over the past decade, the skill of serving has taken on a much more important role to team success, and it's important to understand why. As players have gotten bigger and stronger and sat-out offenses have gotten much more difficult to stop because of the skill of the attacking is so dynamic in the sport of volleyball, especially girls and women's volleyball. The emphasis on serving aggressively has really increased. And one of the key things is the, the premise for that is that if we serve aggressively, we can take teams out of system, and we can keep the setter further off the net, and we give the defense more of a chance to score because the setter has less options, which we're going to cover a little bit later in this podcast. Um, the basic premise in volleyball is that the further a ball is passed off the net, the less of an advantage the attacking team really has. This is why the serve has become so important in an effort to slow down the opponent's side-out offense. But we also have to look at risk-reward. That's one of the things I want to elaborate on a little bit. You know, in men's volleyball, there's been an extremely uh, 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 aggressive attitude taken to serving, and it's, it's almost to the point where serving errors don't matter. And I think that in women's volleyball, especially girls' volleyball, um, 
serving errors do matter. And I know that teams that serve at a really high level who don't make a lot of mistakes, you know, they're not going to give away a lot of free points. And uh, uh, there's a couple of different examples. A couple of years ago, Hugh McCutcheon from Minnesota did a clinic here at the Great Lakes Center, and he talked about in the Big Ten, Minnesota actually had more serving aces than errors. And at the higher levels, aces over errors is a metric that's usually you're going to see errors always higher than aces. And he had talked about how well his team had served. And I don't think it was the impression that he had, they had a lot of serving aces, which they clearly had some, but I think it was they didn't have a lot of serving errors. And so the aces that they had versus the errors that they had, you know, those are direct scoring points. If you an ace a team, you get a point four. If you have a serving error, you get a points to get point against. And at the high school and junior level, we always want our teams to be uh, more aces than errors. You want to be plus in that column. That's when you kind of talk about winning the serve-pass battle. You're talking about can you score more points with your serve than you give up by making serving errors. And that's one of the key things to look at. But uh, that's where we come back to the risk-reward of serving. A lot of people want to serve very, very aggressively, which if you serve very aggressively, you're going to get some aces. But there's going to come a time or there's going to be a fine line that you walk that if you have too many errors, you're not going to be able to overcome those errors with other parts of the game. And if you have too many serving errors, uh, it's not going to it's not going to be reflected in the f- number of times that you took the opponent out of system because you might have taken the opponent out of system, you know, several several times, you know, in the set, but you've also made lots of direct serving errors that gave the opponent a direct point. And so that's one of the things that we want to talk about with serving. I, mean, I think one, one of the things you look at is you need to be aggressive with it, but you also need to make sure that you're not being reckless with it. And I think that's one of the things that you look at. It's very, very important. Um, after we've served the ball to an opponent, blocking becomes our first line of defense. And we already talked a little bit about the point scoring average for the best blocking teams in the, in the Big Ten and in the country. And I guess the question you have to ask yourself as a coach is how much more time do you want to spend in training on blocking and will that time that you spend be a return on the investment will it make significant differences in how many points your team scores with their block or will it make little difference and there's not a hundred percent correct answer to that question but generally while blocking plays a key role in a team's success at the highest level even at that level other skills such as attacking serving serve receive team receive to attack or side out offense, transition attack are far more important to a team's success. So blocking is always going to be a key factor as a part of your defense, but you're always as a coach going to want to think about how much time do you actually spend on a skill that can be as far down the list or as four or five in relationship to your team uh, being able to win or be successful. So I think it's one of the things that you look at. It's one of the things we'll talk more about later uh, in other podcasts, but I think it's one of the things that's really important because if you get carried away too much on it, uh, let's say the Big Ten, let's say the three blocks a game is the number one uh, team in the Big Ten. There's going to be no team that gets to five. There's probably going to be no team that gets to four. And so coaches in practice on a daily basis are spending time on blocking, but they don't believe it's going to score them four or five or six more points a set, um, whereas a combination of better passing, side-out offense, better swings on transi- transition defense, all those things, those are all going to be more effective uh, for team success than just spending a lot more time on blocking. So when you teach blocking, when you train blocking, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you train it within the parameters of how your team's going to su- succeed. And part of that is just laying the foundation technically. I mean, one of the things we've talked about in past podcasts are the, the relationship or the, the development of individual skills. And clearly, individual skills play into any practice setting because 
players have to know the correct techniques to perform skills before you can really train your team uh, in, a, in a team manner because if the players still don't have good fundamental skills, then the team's probably not going to develop very much in a practice setting where you're doing a lot of team play. So uh, player development is going to always be key as well. Uh, and another thing we want to look at is if the opposing team is serving to you. And that's one of the things that we've talked about is um, first and foremost, we generally agree that passing at a high level is, is important. And, you know, we talk about that all the time as coaches. You know, we need to pass. It starts with a pass. You hear that all the time. And that's one of probably the key phrases is you know, it starts with a pass. But, uh, you know, generally serve-receive is one of the most important skills because it allows the setter, as we mentioned earlier, to stay close to the net. It allows the setter to have more options to set generally, which is favorable to your team uh, trying to side out because the defense now has to, has to defend more attack options. But there's also cases where maybe that's not always the case. And I think one of the things that uh, you look at is, you know, if you if you have really strong attacking on the outside, if you have, let's say, you're extremely, extremely physical on the outside and you've got great outside hitting, but you don't pass very well. Well, you're still in a position as a team uh, to get the ball to those hitters almost on a regular basis, either either in the front row or the back row. So I think that's one of the things that you that you look at as a coach is if you don't pass well, if you don't know if you're going to be a, a strong passing team, but let's say you've got strong attacking, then get your attackers in the best positions where they can hit the ball the greatest number of times. And generally in women's volleyball, that's on the left because no matter how bad the ball is passed, somebody can usually chuck it up to the pin, whether it's a setter or somebody else, and then you're going to have somebody out there that's going to go up and take a really hard swing at the ball. And in women's volleyball, uh, usually the left side attack is, regardless of how poor your pass, uh, it's pretty easy to get the ball to that position. And uh, an example of this, you know, not to the extent that the team couldn't pass at all, but uh, in 1992, 1996, and 2000, the Cuban women won the Olympic gold medals uh, at the Olympic Games. Uh, they were the best team in the world for a decade. They won world championships along the way. And they, were do they ran a 6-2. And, and at the international level, the setter uh, can't come in and out. The setters have to hit. So Cuba had two very good outside hitters. They had the best outside hitter in the world in Maria Luis. And they had another outside hitter named Regla Bell, a lefty, uh, for part of that time. Um, and then, you know, they took great swings on the left. They had a lot of power. They had two big physical middles. I mean, two big physical middles that hit, uh, you know, touched probably close to 11 feet, hit slow quick sets in the middle, not really fast out of the setter's hands, but, you know, fairly high. They went up and hit the ball really hard. And then their two setters were, you know, they weren't great athletes, but they were functional attackers. They could hit a ball once in a while. And so the Cuban team wasn't known for its great passing. It wasn't known for its elaborate side-out offense. It wasn't known for being a great defensive team. But they dominated with their attack because they could hit the ball at every position on the court. And that was before the back row attack really came into play in women's volleyball. But uh, Maria Luis, there's, there's some highlight uh, films on the Internet of Maria Luis. And she's just she, she played it at another level. She was in, in her, a world of her own as an attacker, uh, just a dominant attacker. I mean, nobody could stop her. But the Cuban women for that run from 92 through 2000 were kind of an example of what a team can be 
even if it doesn't handle the ball really well, but you've got great physicality on the outside. And, you know, they, they also had great physicality in the middle. They didn't have great physicality on the right. Their two setters were just okay. Didn't hit that. The set distribution to them wasn't that high. But Cuba had four great attackers who could pound the ball, literally pound the ball. Uh, they, would, you know, they could scare you in a warm-up. So that's one of the things that, that you would look at as a coach. Let's say you've got a young Libro, or let's say you don't pass the ball really that well. Then, you know, if your best attacker, and you want to win, if your best attacker is a middle uh, but you're, but this, this hitter's got lots of power, you know, and you don't pass the ball well, you're going to waste that hitter in the middle if you don't have great set and you don't have great ball control. So unless you're passing at a high level and your, your first contact skill is passing in defense or keeping the ball near the net consistently, you know, you don't really want to want to think about your best attackers being middles because you want to get your best attacker the ball the greatest number of times in a point where she can score points. So that's one of the things that you want to look at. Another thing to realize how important the skill of attacking is. I mean, the skill of attacking is is by far the most important skill, and it's a skill that it, it, it makes up for a lot of messy things. Otherwise, if you don't dig a lot of balls, you don't pass a serve-receive well at a high level, your setter's not great, but you got people that can go up and just crush the ball, you know, that cleans up a lot of the mess. But in general, that's one of the things that we look at as, as coaches is we want to make sure that we've got great attacking in the best positions and uh, throughout women's volleyball in the last 40 years since I started coaching you know you go down the line to the best attackers in the world and they're virtually almost until recently they were virtually almost all outside hitters I mean you go back to the 80s and uh, Lon Ping from China was uh, you know she was nicknamed the Iron Hammer for China she was the first big outside hitter she was probably 6'2 but you know back in the 80s the outside hitters were not tall I mean Flo Hyman and who was 6'5 and Lon Ping who was 6'2 you know they were the two biggest outside hitters in the world and they were dominant hitters I mean they 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 bail their teams out of trouble a lot and you get into the 90s and, and you get Maria Luis and you get past that and just across the board you've got a lot of big outside hitters that that were dominant attackers and now the women's game has started to evolve a little bit like the men's game where you've got some really powerful opposites that take great swings at the ball as well but you're never going to be in women's volleyball, you're never going to want to be in a position where you don't have great outside hitting. I think it's going to be one of the key things that's going to be important because I guess the question you ask yourself as a coach is, regardless of what goes wrong, regardless of how bad we pass, we can still get the ball outside to our to our attackers. And I think that's one of the things that you look at. So uh, it, it just goes back to what we said before, is you, the skill of attacking, whether it's in serve receive or whether it's in transition, you know, those two, those, those two areas are your point scoring areas. Those are things that are really important. But uh, I think one of the things you want to look at is let's review these two sides of the ball real quick. Let's take let's say that you have the ball and your team is serving and you have to make decisions on how aggressive your serving strategy is going to be. And I think that's one of the things as a coach that you want to think about. And, you know, if the opposing team that you're playing against is highly skilled, more skilled than your team, and then you're going to have to take some chances. And that means you have to live with the serving errors that your team makes in hopes of damaging the opposing team's side-out offense with your serve. And so when, you're, when you have the ball, I think one of the things you have to do is you, you don't only need a strategy for your team – but you also need a strategy for the team that you're playing against. And uh, if the two teams are equal, then I think you expect to serve aggressively, but I don't think you expect to serve recklessly because you have to expect that you can't dominate your opponent um, even with hard serving because your opponent is good. They pass well. It's a high level. And if you serve too recklessly, then you're going to give up too many points to your opponent. And if you're of equal ability, 
uh, giving up more points than you need to give up is going to cost your team the match. I think that's one of the things that you want to think about as well. So when we talk about serving and, and when we start, uh, you know, the, the ball going across the net from our side of the net, which is when we, we put our defense into play, basically, it comes with our serve. And I think the, the last thing is if your team clearly has overall superior skill, there's no reason to be reckless with your serving. I think you can serve aggressively, but there's no reason to be reckless because over time, you're going to outplay your opponent once the ball crosses the net to your side of the court, whether it's your blocking dominates that opponent because your team is bigger and more physical and you get a lot of blocking points, or let's say you have great backcourt defense and your transition attack is going to score points at a high level. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that you look at as a coach is, you know, not only is what your serving strategy is going to be, but also what your serving strategy is going to be against each each opponent because the one thing to you don't want to do is you don't want to go into a match with a team that you clearly should beat and just make a lot of stupid serving errors and you know get knocked off by a team that's clearly not as good as you because that what will happen and the way you get beat by a team that's not as good as you is you you make a lot of mistakes you make a lot of unforced errors and unforced errors come when you know you either take too many chances or maybe you're not quite ready to compete but that's how you give an inferior team a chance to beat a superior team is you make too many mistakes. You just maybe don't take them seriously or you just make too many mistakes you're not ready to play. I think that's one of the key things to look at. On the other side of the ball, if your team's receiving serve, the key to your team, obviously, we've said is to pass. Uh, pass the ball at a high level. And we've talked about uh, unless you're a team like Cuba, which there's not a lot of those teams around, but uh, I think one of the things that we don't want to do is we don't want to depend too much on firepower all the time. I think one of the things that we look at statistically uh, when we talk about side-out offense is not only the ability to pass at a high level because we've talked about um, you know passing at a high level gives the setter more options, keeps the setter close to the net, gives the setter more hitters to, uh, to set, and gives us a better situation and a better opportunity to score points. But one of the other skills that we look at is first ball kill. And that means that, you know, it's pass, set, hit. And how many of the times do we, do we go up and pass, set, hit? And does the ball not get returned? And I think that's one of the key metrics because at the highest level, if you give the other team across the net who hits the ball really well a chance to get a block touch, dig a ball up in the air, they're going to get a swing at the ball. If they get a swing at the ball, there's a good chance they're going to score. So for your side-out offense, one of the keys is first ball kill. And generally across the board, first ball kills, the higher the first ball kill average is going to depend on if your team consistently can pass at a high level. Because, you know, when good teams play against each other, if you're consistently passing the ball, uh, you know, six, eight, ten feet off the net, and the the other team knows that only one or two hitters have a chance to get a swing at the ball, you know, they're going to have a much better chance to either get block touches, stuff blocks, or at least transition balls, and they're going to get to swing back at you. And so one of the things about first ball kill, which is crucial to team success, is the ability to pass. And so one of the things we talk about all the time is the ability to side out at a high level. Generally, passing at a high level gives you a better chance to side out at a high level. So I think the first ball kill uh, metric that you, we talk about on serve receive is something that should be built into every team's offense. I mean, you want to literally not only look at how often you side out, but how often you side out with the first ball kill. Because as first ball kill means that you're not going to have to play defense after you hit the ball. You're not going to have to rally. You're not going to have to do any of those things. So those are, those are the metrics that kind of make up, in general, how teams have success. I mean, when you serve the ball, uh, you know, you put the ball in play, you're defending, so you serve aggressively. You know, your block, your block is going to be uh, uh, 
defending against the other team's attack. So again, as you go up the ladder to the highest level, your blocking is going to be more important. But even at the very highest level, teams don't block six, eight, nine, ten points a set. You know, out of twenty-five points, you know, they just don't. The attackers are too good. So blocking is going to be important, but a lot of times your blocking sets up your backcourt defense. It funnels the ball to positions on the court where you want the ball to go. Let's say that uh, you have an attacker that doesn't hit cross-court well, they hit line well, then maybe you take the line away with your block to make sure that the hitter can't hit down the line, but you put more diggers cross-court in one of the rules for defense. And instead of having all these different names for defenses, one of the one of the rules on defense is to put the greatest number of diggers in a chance in a in a position where the ball is going to be attacked to, and uh, kind of at the net, you're going to try to take away, take areas away along the net that hitters like, and then around that around the block, you're going to put diggers in positions where if the hitter goes in a different angle, you've got a chance to dig a ball. And once you dig a ball, then you become a transition offense. So I think that's one of the key things that we look at. And then on serve receive, on the other side of it, when you receive the serve, we have to look at you know how well we're going to pass. Uh, how well do we match up against the blockers across the net? You know, all those things come into play. But, you know, in general, the two primary areas that we look at for our team to be able to be successful is our what we do when we're serving the ball as a group, as a team, and what we do when we're passing the ball as a group, as a team. So our serve and block and defense and then our transition offense and then our serve-receive and our side-out offense. Those are the two areas that are the – those are the big-picture items that we look at when we talk about how teams win. And generally at the highest level, teams side out at a pretty consistently equal level. What happens is it's the team that can break a point open, either get a stuff block or dig a ball and get a great swing. You know, and that's where these individual skills that we talk about, we'll talk about next time come into play, that when you get a ball that's dug 15, 20 feet off the net and your setter can come off the net 20 feet, turn on that ball and put a ball perfect position or perfect location to the left side to the right side to the back row hitter that's where the individual skill of setting becomes important okay or let's say your libro uh, takes the hardest serve and passes the ball right to the net uh, that's where serve receive comes into play uh, or let's say or a ball gets chucked up outside it, you know it's not a great set but your hitters go up and take great swings all this comes back to individual skill individual development which we're going to try to touch on next time and we've talked a lot to date on the podcast about how important training the players in situations, match situations and game situations and developing player talent versus developing team talent because when you put player talent together, when talent is when you have a high level of individual skill, then all the players can go through all the situations uh, that they need to on either side of the ball, whether you're defending or whether you're serving, and they can perform their job, they can do their job at the highest level possible. So I think that's one of the things that we look at, and we're going to try to get into that next time. And uh, when we come back next time, <clears throat> we're going to talk about uh, planning practice. And planning practice is, I don't care how many days a week you practice, you've got different emphasis for different times of the year. You've also got different emphasis for different practices. You're not going to walk into practice and do the same, same thing every single day. You know, you're going to have days where there's an emphasis on side out, which means there's a lot of pass set hit. Uh, you're practicing your side out offense. You're going to have days where you're doing a lot of dig to attack, which is your transition offense. You're going to have days that you're working on blocking versus, uh, you know, side out offense. I mean, there's going to be all those things that you look at. You've also got to take into account <clears throat> how much you're playing versus how much you're practicing. You've also got to take into account overuse and compression injuries. Are you going to, are you going to go hard every day? Because one of the things about, uh, about volleyball is the, the, sp the sport of volleyball is a compression sport. It allows, 
or it, it, it has a tendency to beat players up a lot. If you go out and do the same thing over and over again, you have these repetitive injuries. Uh, you know, take it to the, the lowest possible level. Think about carpal tunnel. You do the same thing with your fingers every single day, and at some point your fingers start to give out on you. And if you do the same thing in volleyball every single day, you perform the same actions every single day, uh, you're going to have overuse issues. So we're going to talk about how to plan those uh, plan your training cycles next time in, you know, in micro weeks, uh, days in the week, and then macro weeks and months in the, in the season. And we'll talk about high school season. We'll also talk about club season because they're two different animals. I mean, high school seasons are shorter. You play a lot of volleyball. Winning is really important kind of all along the way for high school teams uh, versus club season is long. Uh, you know, everybody, at least here, we work all year to try to play well the last four days of the season. So there's a different emphasis for what we're doing at different times of the year. So we're going to cover those things as well. So until next time, stay safe and wishing all you guys the very best. Thank you.